This is from the Buddha. There are those who discover they can leave behind destructive reactions and become patient as the earth, unmoved by fires of anger or fear, unshaken as a pillar, unperturbed as a clear and quiet pool. Embracing both joy and sorrow, our heart can remain tender and wise. There is no happiness higher than peace. Mm. So this year, friends, um, I don't know, you know, there's just different practices that we do as we the Gregorian calendar changes over. And I thought for myself, okay, in 2022, what is it that I am really working to cultivate? And I've been joking with all of you that over the summer of 2021, that Ursa asked me what it is that I wanted to be when I grow up, (laughs) which says a lot about our relationship. And I said that I just wanted to sit in a chair. (laughs) And what I meant by that was that what I'm really craving is equanimity, is peace, is a steady seat. That's what I was describing to him when I said that, Um, is being able in all of this movement and swirling like we practiced in the meditation to be able to maintain connection with the steadiness, the equanimity that resides inside of me, right? So I looked up Um, the etymology of the word peace. And it's so interesting because it has a long history. And it comes first from um, PAG, P-A-G, which I guess is the root word for pie. And it it meant at that time, a long, 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 long time ago, (laughs) to fasten or to bind together. To fasten or to bind together. But that's the old, old root word of peace. Just thinking, just considering that for a moment, to fasten or to bind together, that that is peaceful, right? So we know from classes before, or maybe this is your first time, so I'll repeat it, that when we experience a trauma, right, which the root word of the word trauma is a wound, right, to be wounded, that it is often when we um, experience a separation where one becomes two, where we become unintegrated. I also like to think about it, the experience that I've had is that I experience um, sort of, there's parts of me that get lost at sea as I've gone through trauma, that I then, when we do this kind of work, swim out there and work to reclaim, right? To become one again. And it's interesting to me that peace is the exact opposite right then of trauma. It's to fasten and to bind together, to be integrated, to be whole. And then the history of this word went on and then it became um, to, hmm, to have a treaty or an agreement, right? And then the history of the word went on and on and then peace became to be free of things which is interesting, to be free from war, to be free from conflict. 
And I would argue, <laughs> as would lots of yogic and uh, Buddhist scholars, right, that inside of us, as we just experienced, is always a place that is free from conflict, where we have the capacity to turn inward and to be able to sit in the vastness and watch all of it go by without getting invested in it. And that there's a seat of equanimity that is always available to us that is in fact our birthright in the same way that love is our birthright. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to go over some levels (laughs) of mindfulness um, related to equanimity. As I said before, as taught to me in my meditation teacher training program, which I'm loving. I'm one year in and... (laughs) Um, these come specifically from Jack Cornfield, so I'm not making this up, and I'm sure that he learned them from his teacher, Ajahn Chah, um, and various others. So when we're talking about peace, about finding this way in which to fasten or bind together, to be able to take that steady, steady seat that is always quiet and still, right? Um, if you imagine one of the great teaching metaphors that I love is that we can imagine our consciousness like a pond. If you've ever been up to one of the beautiful lakes and swimming in them in the Pacific Northwest where you can see all the way to the bottom, right? That's our consciousness that it is when it's um, steady and clear that we can see all of it, that the perspective gets very wide and expansive and vast. And then something happens in our life and a rock gets dropped in. (laughs) There's a storm and there's all of these waves that happen and it becomes more difficult to see all the way to the bottom, right? And then what happens, right, is that it eventually settles down if we give it the opportunity. And there's actually chemical things in our body where if we choose to not invest in anger and frustration and to just like pause and let it pass through us, not to change it, but just to let it move, to let it be flowing as it is. That the chemicals, the anger chemicals in our body can only flow through for 90 seconds if we allow that to happen. Isn't that freaking fascinating? I love that so much. You get this like, this burst And we can choose to keep it going, which we often do (laughs) by engaging with it, or we sit back and sit in the chair, take the steady seat, and then watch with curiosity and fascination and a lot of compassion, right? Thich Nhat Hanh, who passed this week, um, I felt so happy for him. (laughs) He's been sick for a long time, and I was like, oh, that consciousness is free now. It's going to make me weep. Um, But... Thich Nhat Hanh said that compassion is a verb, right? And so it's something that we actually do, kind of like the meta practice. So let's talk about this. Um, there's four-ish levels to mindfulness. The first one is to start to be mindful of the content of our experience, right? To begin to be mindful of the content of our experience. So what is that? Um, it's beginning to be able to name with some accuracy what's actually happening to us. To us. Oh, this is anger. Oh, this is excitement. 
this is nerve sightment, nerve sighted. That's what my kids and I call it. Well, there's no word in the English language. There is a word in German, but I can't remember what it is that combines nervousness and excitement um, together, which I think is so culturally interesting because we tend to just call it being nervous and then it has a negative connotation or being excited, which then has a positive con connotation. But sometimes it's the combination of both and holding both, right? So it's beginning to say, oh, this is happening in my life and I can see it and I can witness it and I can name it with some accuracy. I would also say that this is related to emotional intelligence of being able to be in relationship with our emotions in a way that is somewhat neutral, that we're not moving in the binary and thinking that we need or should feel a certain way. Right, my kid Veda right now is experiencing um, a roommate situation as we all have in our lives. If you've ever lived with people, um, maybe you're living with people right now and there's a roommate situation where there's sort of this expectation about the way that people should be and feel in the household. Um, like, why don't you feel this way? Why don't you do this way? And Veda does not come from an upbringing that it all demanded anyway for one to be able to um it just wasn't something that i pressed upon my kids was oh you should feel this way or should feel that way our family motto is all feelings are welcome here right and so they're experiencing this way in which um there's an expectation of how to feel and that's the opposite right of what this practice is of being able to be mindful of the content of our experience and also means being mindful of what's happening around us and being attuned to other folks right being good listeners is a way to be mindful of the content of our experience which we've talked about in the past um, the second level is to be able to be mindful of the process of experience and this is the best, I th this is a really good one, because when we're mindful of the process of experience, it means that we are able to notice that flow, right? That it comes and then it goes, that it comes and then it goes, and that there is no peace, this is what's blowing my mind lately, in experience that that is not where the seat of peace lies. Many of us just experienced uh, an unraveling of stress from being on retreat together. Um, maybe you've had these moments in the, in the process of the pandemic where you have felt connected um, in a deeper way. You went camping or you went on vacation or you had an opportunity to just pause and feel the stress of the body unravel. Um, and that's wonderful. <laughs> and then yet we have to come back to our lives and there can be this feeling of clinging and wanting to have that back. And it is a reminder right, of the fact, it's a, just a truth, <laughs> that peace does not lie in experience, that it, that it um, lies in connecting with our beingness and being with our beingness and being with the vastness of our awareness, of our loving awareness. Um, and that all of it 
all of the content of our experience, all of the emotions that we name, the things that happen to our us is passing. So it's being able to become aware and awake to the impermanence that is this creative life that we have, this gift of the life we have. And part of the gift of it is the impermanence, actually, right? And then um, the third part (laughs) is to be able to rest in the mindfulness of being awake to the content and the process at the level of metta, at the level of loving kindness. So that in the naming and the being aware of the impermanence, that we aren't um, judging right, or making qualifications or wishing it were different than it was, that but we're able to see it from that place of loving awareness and compassion, which takes practice. It's really freaking hard. I, I think that one because we are so quick and our brains really enjoy being able to make categories and be like, oh, this one fits in this one, that's the bad category. Oh, and this one, I'm experiencing joy, that's over in the good category, but also kind of in the bad category because I'm afraid it's gonna leave, you know? And we really like that, to be able to compartmentalize things like that. And the meta asks us to be, to to invest consciously and mindfully in a love that is without preference, not only for one another, but for the content and the process of our experience. I said that fast, I'm gonna say it again. But being mindful from the level of metta asks us to be um, aware, not only of the content and the process of our experience, but to be able to love it all without preference. So it comes back to that definition of love that I will repeat for the rest of my days, which is that love is saying yes to all that is. Right, I have a tattooed on my arm. Yes. That love is being able to say yes to all that is. All the fires, all the floods, all the sunshine, all the snow days, (laughs) to each part of it without preference. And then the fourth one, the fourth level of mindfulness is to become aligned with the soul perspective, right? To become identified with soul. Um, To understand that we are larger than just this body-mind. I had something from, let's see here. Hmm. This is from, um, oh no, this isn't the one that I wanted to read. Hold on, let me grab it. It's on here. Hmm. This is from um, Sri Nisargata. The question is, if my real self is peace and love, why is it so restless? It is not your real being that is restless but its reflection in the mind appears restless because the mind is restless. That's just the nature of the mind, is what he's saying. It is just like the reflection of the moon and the water stirred by the wind. Like that water, remember we started with that? The wind of desire stirs the mind and the me, quote unquote, which is but a reflection of the self in the mind appears changeful. But these ideas of movement, of restlessness, of pleasure and pain are all in the mind. The self 
stands beyond the mind, aware but unconcerned. And then someone asks the question, how to reach it? And he says, you are the self here and now. Leave the mind alone. Stand aware and unconcerned, and you will realize that to stand alert but detached, watching events come and go, is an aspect of your real nature. And that's the first step, essentially, that he's saying, is that when we meditate and when we practice mindfulness in the more chop wood, carry water moments of our lives, that we have the opportunity to be able to be resting back in that soul perspective, in the largeness that exists in all of us, right? Um, I, hmm, this is from the Diamond Sutra. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, an echo, a rainbow, a dream. And it's all fleeting. And that that's part of the mindfulness practice. I mean, these four levels of mindfulness all have to do with attachment, right? Um, I have like 17 more pages of things that I want to say about this. And I think that we might continue it next week so that this will be a to be continued. You have a little meditation practice at the beginning of this. Um, to begin, and um, I mean a whole mindfulness class, 11 episodes there, <laughs> to be able to begin to tap into the place inside of us that is that steady, quiet, still seat. And um, that's what, I think it's Suzuki Roshi who says that that's everyday nirvana. When we don't get caught up in the content of our um, minds, and start to live there rather than here, in the here and now. Because when we're mindful of the content and the process, we're called to presence. And that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves in these practices is this call to presence, to being alive here and now, because it's where we experience joy. It only lives here in this moment. It's where we experience flow state, where we lose that small sense of I, um, to the larger we, to that which connects us all. Okay, I have one more thing to read you because I'm a book nerd. Mm -hmm. And I cannot, (laughs) this is funny, I didn't look it up. Um, I didn't look this up (laughs) to see where, (laughs) what book I got it from. And so I will tell you later, (laughs) but it's good. Here it is. I just took a picture of it long ago. Love is, without a doubt, the basis of everything. Not some abstract, hard-to-fathom kind of love, but the day-to-day kind that everyone knows. The kind of love we feel when we look at our spouse and our children or even our animals. In its purest and most powerful form, this love is not jealous or selfish, but unconditional. Right, that meta lens. This is the reality of realities, the incomprehensibly glorious truth of truths that lives and breathes at the core of everything that exists or that ever will exist, and no remotely accurate understanding of who and what we are can be achieved by anyone who does not know it, and embody it in all of their actions. 
So that comes back to that Thich Nhat Hanh quote that compassion is a verb. Right. That at our essence, we are love. And so let's embody that in all of our actions and that mindfulness is this beautiful way which we get to connect to that soul perspective, to that place in us that is larger than the movements of the mind, right? than our aging bodies, and the, to the experiences that happen to us. So I hope, I, if you have one takeaway from today, I hope it is that experience is not where we find peace. It is not where we find peace, that we turn inward and connect with that still, quiet, vast, aware space inside of us. And we'll continue this next week. I like this conversation. Please let me know if you have questions Um, in the chat. I'm always happy. I, I mean, I just missed engaging with you all in that way. And we will go to the mat today and practice. I'm very excited.